This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. Good morning. This is Coach Jen from Ocala, Florida. And I'm Mary Kitzmiller from Kemp, Texas. And you are listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for April 11th, episode 2159. Today's show is brought to you by Horseware. Good morning, Horse World. What is your favorite day of the week? never stop learning, you never stop understanding. It's more in depth than just riding a horse. Exciting, knowing that for the rest of my life I could work on this and, and I'll never stop learning. I love that opener with all the cheering. Welcome back, Mary. Uh, welcome back to you as well. You want to find out what's coming up on today's show? Yes, sounds good. <laughs> well, you know what's coming up on today's show because as is our habit, we're answering listener questions. That's right. Right before the show, usually the day before Mary goes in, posts, what do you want to hear about on our super top secret, not really, Horse Radio Network Auditor's Facebook page, and our listeners put in their questions that they want answered, and... We're going to talk about how to build a good foundation for your horse so that you and your horse can have a fantastic relationship and competitive career with no surprises. So that's what's coming up on today's show. So let's jump right into it. What first? Because there's always something in your life, Mary, that sparks these training tips. What happened that made you say, you know, we need to talk about how to build a good foundation? Well, it's never really a single event. It's just something I observe time and time again, or I hear about time and time again, um, is an owner getting hurt or being potentially hurt by their horse. And the horses, I I hear the same thing over and over and over again, is my horse is usually fine doing this, but when he saw this, then he did this and I hit the ground and, you know, and, um, most most of these most of you guys who own horses, um, you know you've got these other livelihoods and you've got families and you you know you cannot afford to to get dumped off of your horse on a regular basis. I mean, no one can. I'm a horse trainer, and if it happens to me, then I can't work. I mean, you you know it's uh, so so it's not good for anyone, obviously, to continually hit the ground with your horse and. In in my opinion, this is extremely, extremely serious. Um, you shouldn't be getting dumped by your horse. And, of course, we all have horses. We all know the risks. It happens. It's not if you're going to fall. It's when. Um, but the common denominator that I notice in all of these instances is it's just there's a hole somewhere or several holes somewhere in the horse's foundation. I think foundation. several holes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And this does not mean that the horse was trained poorly in the past or, or, you know, someone did a bad job. Um, even my horses can develop uh, holes in their foundation. You know, uh, my really, uh, cla- good example is my, 
um, Mule Emmett, who, because he's so bombproof and steady and trustworthy, um, I noticed I was having problems with things like not being able to catch him in the pasture, or he would jump on the trailer and then run backwards. He developed a habit of that. And that's just, to me, that signals a lack of maintenance. Um, so, oh, interesting. Yeah. Maintenance. Yeah, and this... Yes. Hmm. And this mule has been elk hunting in Idaho. He's been to shows all over the country. Um, he's been hauled all over the United States. But even he started showing signs that if you don't take care of it, this will get a, into a really big problem. And, you know, another thing that I often see that leads to the fall, I'm going to tell you right now, it never, ever comes out of nowhere. You know, I, I hear the story over and over and over again. I was on the trail and my horse, who never spooks and he's perfect, spooked out of nowhere and I got dumped. They are telling you long before that spook, long before that incident that causes you to get unseated, they're telling you something's going to happen. Um I was at a show uh, a few months ago where um, I forgot what we were talking about. There were some women on their horses having a conversation behind me. And the conversation got to like having to pick up a rain, carry a flag. And she said, oh, my God. Oh, and Mary's gone. And Mary left us. And now we've got her back on her other line. So we're good. So there's some ladies chatting behind you, which piqued your your little. I can just hear it now. Your ear turned back. Looks like a horse would. And you went, hmm, what are they talking about? What were they talking about? Uh, yeah. So they were talking about um, something that was along the lines of carrying a flag or carrying a rain flicker off their horse. And uh, one of the women said, oh, I could never do that. My horse would freak out. And um, I just kind of blurted out. I wouldn't get on that horse then. And I felt bad for just letting that escape my mouth. Because <laughs> they both just looked at me like, what? What are you talking about? My precious <laughs> angel is perfect. Um, but, and I don't expect my horses to be 100% bomb to everything all the time. Riding a prey animal that, you know, uh, still is not sure a mountain lion isn't going to come up over the hill and take him out. So, they're always on alert. We know they speak. You can't, you can't train all that out of them. However, if their first reaction is to bolt or buck or run backwards or do anything that is going to cause you harm uh, or cause you to be unseated, uh, that's a training issue. And they need, so they need to do a lot more work on that. And I don't care how old they are or, you know, if they've done two Olympic games or anything like that, you know, it, the horse is going to tell you what he's missing and what he needs worked on. So that's been kind of going through my head lately. So on the subject of, um, you know, how to teach a horse to react, I do, um, I do what I call fire drills. And uh, this is something, you know, when we train horses, we typically want it to be all rainbows and butterflies and nothing bad to happen. <laughs> and it's our instinct to try to just keep a lid on it and make sure everything's okay. Um, but in, in the case of really anxious horses, you're just teaching them to bottle up all that fear and anxiety and they have no outlet for it. And if it does, if the lid does blow off, they don't know what to do with it. They just panic. And so uh, when I'm training a horse, 
like with a Mustang, I'm gentling. I keep it really soft and quiet and, and really nice at first. And, I, and I'll do, you know, most of my training that way, you know, low resistance, easygoing, build one step at a time. But there will come a time in that horse's life, uh, for instance, with a Mustang, I've been leading them around with the halter. Everything's great, but I know next week I'm going to have to open the gate of that halter, uh, of that arena. <laughs> I'm going to have to open the arena gate, and I'm going to have to lead that horse across a wide open space. And if he gets away from me out there, I'm in big trouble. The horse, you know, I can't help him if he's running away from me and he's stepping on his lead rope. I mean, worst case scenario, he could really hurt himself. Um, and so what I will do before that day, instead of being quiet, quiet, quiet in my enclosed, shady, quiet arena, and then opening the door and shoving him out into the wide world and he's not prepared for it, what I'll do in my controlled environment of that arena is I will set up these situations where I'm going to intentionally up the stress level of what we're doing. And he will react. I know he will react because he hasn't had this experience before with me. And instead of trying to force him to behave or punish him for reacting, I'm going to first accept that this will happen and this is his instinct. And, he, you know, there are, there are going to be times when he just can't help it. He's a prey animal. And even me as a predator, sometimes I get scared and no amount of, you know, someone talking to me is going to keep me from being scared. So what I try to tell the horse with these exercises is, listen, I know you want to move your feet right now, and that's okay, but here's how you move your feet in a way that's going to keep both of us safe. So on the ground, that would involve yielding their hindquarters, getting them to face me as they're moving around, asking them to keep a healthy distance from me so I'm not collateral damage in their spook. And under saddle, that's going to be a one-ring stop, which is very similar to what I would do on the ground. Um, initially, I take the horse around laterally to one side or the other and ask them to yield their hindquarters to a stop. If that horse is extremely troubled, he might spin around in that tiny circle for a long time. But guess what? I can ride that. My grandma can ride that. So that's something, uh, that's an exercise where I'm not trying to force the horse to be anything he's not. I'm not trying to punish him for having fear or anxiety. Um, but I am controlling the direction of his feet. So it, it can be a win-win. He gets to move his feet to comfort himself, and I get to not die. So, <laughs> so that's where that, that one ring stop, that's the first little brick I lay in my foundation. That's where that comes in. And once you practice these hundreds, and you should practice them hundreds and hundreds of times, if you have a fire drill in your really crowded, uh, busy work building and you guys never run the drill and then the building catches on fire, do you think it's going to be an orderly evacuation? No, it's going to be pandemonium because no one knows what to do. So you have to practice it in controlled settings and teach your horse over and over and over, here's how you react if you're scared. And you're teaching yourself. Instead of doing the human thing, our thing to do when we get scared is to instantly curl up in the fetal position, which, as you probably know, is not good equitation for staying on a horse. No. It will launch you quicker no. than anything. Your heels go up, your knees go up, you tighten up, you, you know, you shrink, you shrink into a little ball and you will get, you know, uh, you will get lawn darted right off of that horse. 
So by practicing, here's what we do, is bad things happen over and over and over again. Hopefully, it's going to be muscle memory to both you and the horse when everything goes kaflooey. There you go. So it's it's small steps. Now, give me an, a real-world example of something you might do. Paint us the picture of what a fire drill might look like for your average horse who's got your average amount of training. He's been ridden a lot by amateurs. Um, at some point, he probably got professionally trained in his life. But golly, he has his moments. He'll spook when he sees a deer on the trail, and then he just turns around and runs, and then I fall off. What might be a first step type of fire drill you might do at home? Uh, well, I'll give you two really quick examples. Uh, one of them was with the very first uh, Mustang I trained for in Mustang Makeover. His name was Okie Dokie. And this horse happened to be my first guinea pig into clicker training. I had decided to do all of this training with clicker training. And it went brilliantly, and we were in this small, enclosed arena. So even if he were to get away from me, he's no more than 20 feet from me at all times. No big deal. Everything's still safe. So we're rocking and rolling, and everything has been really soft and no resistance and all based on positive reinforcement. But then I realized, like I said earlier, oh, my gosh, I'm going to have to lead him across a parking lot and all sorts of things are going to scare him that I can't control, a Walmart bag blowing across, maybe another horse is acting up or someone's dogs or someone's kids on bikes, um, and I'm going to have to do this soon. So what do I do? So this horse was particularly flighty, and all of my training had been on a real low level, you know, just really quiet. So all I did, um, I had a good grip on the lead rope. I had a nice, loose lead rope, good distance from him. He was so sensitive that all I had to do was kind of jump in place and make a little noise. And he kind of looked at me and went, see ya. And <laughs> he tried to uh, get away from this scary thing. And what I did is I, I plant myself like a fence post in the ground. I don't try to pull him back or jerk on him or anything like that. Uh, it's, I act like you are tied to a fence post. You're not going far. And when you've done this enough, you get, I could do this with a draft horse. I mean, you, you're not going to get that rope out of my hands. And, and I just held my position until he hit the rope. And I had practiced over and over and over again, yielding the hindquarters, yielding the hindquarters, yielding the hindquarters, but never at this level, never like at level 10, DEFCON, you know. Yeah. Um, DEFCON 1, and, the klaxons are sounding, yes. Yeah, so all of a sudden that lead rope went taut, but he was able to whip his butt around and face me. And as soon as he did that, because I'd been clicker training, I clicked and gave him, you know, like 50 treats. <laughs> I was like, that's exactly what I want. I didn't punish him for being bad because he doesn't know what bad is. He's just reacting. He's scared. And I did lots of things over and over like that until, one, he knew how to react uh, if he heard scary things. And, two, he realized that me jumping around like an idiot just meant I was his goofy person. And he got used to it over time, and he realized, well, she's never tried to, you know, to murder me after she did that, so maybe I'm okay. Um, another tool that I really love to use before I get on a horse, um, and I do this on the ground, is I really love using a flag. And um, a flag, it's essentially like a long 
uh, dressage whip, and it's got this kind of crinkly material flag at the end of it. And you'll see people like Buck Braneman and Joel Walter and kind of the Western cowboy natural horsemanship guys use it. And um, it is it, it moves, it makes a noise, it can be very scary. I love it because I can use it both to control the direction of my horse's feet, but I can also desensitize them at the same time. The flag can bring up a horse's energy like uh, like you wouldn't believe. But if I were to whack that horse as hard as I could with the flag, which I really don't do, but if I were to, it's like trying to beat a horse to, it's like trying to beat him to death with a sock. Like, it's not going to hurt him. And um, the flag will bring out a lot of things in a horse that lets me know, okay, here's what's just beneath the surface. And I start it slowly, and I build on it over time until I can have that horse walking, trotting, cantering around me, waving that flag like a maniac, and he's like, it's okay, no big deal. If he can get used to that, um, I do this a lot with my colts, if he can handle that flag waving all all around him and touching him everywhere, then when I get on his back, it's not going to be such a traumatic experience for him. If, you know, like I mentioned earlier, the hypothetical Walmart bag blowing across the parking lot uh, crosses our paths, he'll probably, he might react, but I've done so much work with that flag, you know, something in there is going to click and he'll realize, even if he's scared and he has to move his feet, I've taught him what to do which is typically yield your hindquarters, face me, wait for further instructions. There you go. And I think part of the key there is make sure that you are neither intentionally or unintentionally punishing a horse's natural reaction when he's not reacting because he's being bad. He's reacting because he doesn't know what the correct answer is. And his go-to answer is this, because you didn't tell me how to answer. You just gave me a question. So I think a lot of times people don't realize it, but the horse perceives punishment in those situations. You set up a fire drill and maybe your horse hasn't been taught to quietly, comfortably, and confidently yield his hindquarters when he comes to tension on his lead. Maybe you thought you taught it, but not really. So a horse gets to the end of that lead rope. He gets yanked very hard. He pulls, he tugs. The human being has to become even scarier so that the horse has to turn his body or they're doing it in an arena situation where the arena is much too large and he doesn't have that exterior fence to help him make the decision. He perceives being punished in that you even, you raise the adrenaline and the scariness level even further before he yielded and came back to face you. So he thought, oh my gosh, not only did you startle me, you startled me and then startled me even more when I looked at you. So make sure you do the prerequisites really, really well. Because that that's what stood out to me in that whole description is you worked on, this is the right answer when you come to tension. And you worked on it in a low, scary, comfortable, soft way so that he was completely and utterly confident that when he came to tension on the lead rope, he turned and faced you and everything was going to be fine. So that when he did it purely out of reaction and terror, he had the muscle memory and he had the 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 practice, the his, the the history that he went, oh, I feel that tension. I'm supposed to turn and face my human and everything's going to be cool. So that was key, that you did the homework first. You didn't just take a horse who sort of knows how to lead 
and startle him and force him to the end of a lead rope without any clue what to do when he got to the end of it. Because that's what I would do, and I would screw it all up. So now I have to go work on teaching Nigel to yield his hindquarters better. Oh, the hindquarters are the key. The horse's ability to do anything troublesome, whether it's bolting, whether it's uh, running backwards, whether it's rearing, um, lunging, bucking, crow hopping. It, where does it all come from? It comes from the hind end. Um, it's the horse's powerhouse. If you can get a good hindquarter yield, both on the ground and under saddle, and what it's like, for those of you who know how to drive stick shift, we're, we're a dying breed, um, it's like pushing in the clutch. The engine can still move, the engine's still working, but the car is not going anywhere. It, it literally, you are disengaging that horse's engine. Um, transmission. We're disengaging the transmission. There we go. I like it. Transmission. Exactly. The t- I totally know cars. <laughs> um, but exactly. So, um, you know, by yielding the hindquarters, uh, again, it's a win-win. The horse is being allowed to move his seat. You're not trying to force him to stand still, but it's something you can ride. I can ride a teeny little spiral. It might be inconvenient, but I can ride it. If a horse's hind legs are crossing like they are when you yield hindquarters, they physically cannot do a lot of the things that can get us in trouble. It's when those hind legs come together and have that balance that they can do all the scary things. There you go. All the scary things. So how to build a good foundation. That's what it looks like to get started. I'm sure we could talk about this for about another four hours, but our auditor guest is here. Chantel, welcome to the show. Chantel. Hi, how are you? We're great doing great here. Take it away, Mary. All right. So I have to admit, in all the craziness running around this morning, I have not read your question yet. So this will be a surprise to me. <laughs> and I love hoping surprises. I have a great answer okay. for you. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. Well, I mean, actually, I was just listening to you guys, and it sounds somewhat similar to the issue um, that I'm thinking of. Uh, so basically, I have a five-year-old Arabian gelding. Um, he's really leggy and super tall. <laughs> Uh, and he's been really great so far, like really smart, really on the money, quick learner. Um, and I mean, we've gotten so far as where the saddle, um, and can yield all four quarters. Uh, I've done a little bit of ground driving with him. And so this is sort of the point that what I usually do is I start sort of hanging all over them with my arm over the side, my body over the side, my leg over the side, kind of, you know, getting them used to doing that without me actually having to be on them so I can do like a quick exit. Um, But with him, because he's so tall and I'm really unathletic, uh, (laughs) I have to stand on a mountain block to do all that kind of stuff. Um, And he is great. He stands still. Well, actually, you know, he'll sidle right up and pick me up and stand still for all of that um, until I take my feet off the mountain block and hang over the side of them, you know, like, completely weight bearing. Um, and then what he does is he's like, I gotta go. <laughs> uh, and I've tried a couple different things. Um, but I've been working at it for a while now and I'm not really getting any, any change. Um, and I have to admit I'm kind of spoiled because up to now I've only really done this with really solid kind of stock horse type horses who are like, yeah, okay, I'm running for this now. And I, I'm not sure what I'm, what, what the missing piece is, like, why is the weight bearing the issue? Um, and as far as I know, he has a clean bill of health. 
Um, but maybe there's something I should be looking for physically that I, I haven't seen yet. So would love your input. Really, really interesting question. Um, and I have to tell you, I used to work for one of the big fancy trainers who goes all across the country doing tours and fixing horses. And when we were asked to, uh, it was my job to pick the demo horses. And one of the rules that I abided by for the cult starting was it had to be a stock type horse. Um, because <laughs> they're like the golden lads of the horse world. They just want to be your friend. And so when you have a horse that in an hour and a half, you have to get it doing all these amazing things for the crowd, um, quarter horse is your best bet. And that's not saying that Arabians are bad or thoroughbreds are bad. Uh, they just often take a lot more convincing. And, you know, in the case of Arabians, um, you know, a lot of a lot of bloodlines of quarter horses, you move their feet a little bit, and they're like, okay, I'm never going to do that again. So, like, when a quarter horse would walk off with me, I might just go back to yielding the hindquarters around several times because that is kind of a hard thing for them to do and takes a lot of effort. And that was enough for that horse to go, never mind, I'm never moving again. But an Arabian's like, I could do this all day and, off, you know, not have any water in, in a desert. And so... uh so they're very different than the stock breeds in a lot of ways. Um, so when he moves, is he? Uh, I didn't. I don't know if I caught it properly. Is he just walking off, or is he panicking and running off when when he moves? When you're laying halfway on him. Um. Well, I haven't thrown a leg over. Well, I, I have thrown, but I haven't like. I'm. I'm not. I'm not. I guess what I do is I put my my torso over his back first, kind of like right. close to the front. Um, and just sort of lay over the back and it starts and it's been like this for a while. And it starts with, you know, he just takes a couple of steps of walk and then he's like, Oh crap. And it okay. <laughs> starts to slot. Um, I wouldn't uh, say yeah. he's like full on panicking, but he's, Oh, sorry guys. Um, I was, I'm icing a horse in a stall and she just kicked her water bucket. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, but he's definitely like, uh, I don't know what to do about this. This isn't cool. Um, so it escalates, I guess I should say. <clears throat> okay. So, um, yeah, so he starts moving his feet. And as is typical, when they start moving their feet, they kind of think, well, since I'm already walking, why don't I move a little faster? Or he's just trying to make the uncomfortable thing go away, which, you know, is, is your weight on his back. And uh, yes, it's, uh, not untypical for a smaller built horse, you know, with a lighter frame to be uncomfortable with the weight on their back. Obviously, they need to get used to it. Um, and so I would say when you lay halfway over, and I know you're probably doing this, try to keep your weight as equal as possible. When I do this with a horse, and I'm assuming you're doing this bareback, right? Yes. Um, so when I do this with a horse, uh, crawling all over the bareback and they go to move, the first thing I'll try to do is I will try to, I'll try to hang with them. If they're just wandering a few steps, a lot of times they'll settle into a stop and we can keep going. And as soon as they stop, I usually hop off to give them a release and then get back on again later. Um, but in your horse's case, he just continues to move. So 
When I do this, I have a, I use a long lead rope and I have it draped. Let's say I'm on the near side of the horse, to so the left side of the horse. I have the lead rope draped over my left elbow and I have it draped in a way that it's not pulling on him when he's standing still, but not so much slack that if he does go to move, I might lose, you know, control of him or, you know, not be able to uh, manage his feet in time. So if he starts to move and I think I'm not going to be able to stick with it or it's just turning into faster movement, which I need to shut down, um, I will immediately slide off. I will change my grip on that rope so it was over my elbow. I'll grab it kind of overhand with my left hand and I will kind of plant myself like a fence post in the ground and hopefully cause that horse's hindquarters to yield and face me. And then I'll just set that up again. Um, and it's a little bit more difficult with a mounting block, but I'll usually grab the mounting block from where, from where it was and try to get back to his back as quickly as possible. And I will just keep repeating that, climb up over him, um, jump down the other hind quarters when he moves, climb up over him, jump down the other hind quarters when he moves. And I'll do that over and over and over again until one of those times, um, he will stand still for like a split second. Um, and I'm always going to try to be getting off of that horse if he's standing still for a moment. So if you know that he'll, he'll accept your weight and stand still for three seconds, then you get off in two seconds. And you do that, you're better off with this exercise doing more and more repetitions of short stints of laying on his back than just hanging out there and waiting for him to react. Um, so the key thing is when you hit the ground, you want to be able to get those hindquarters to swing away from you and him to face you. Um, so that that is how I would tackle that. And again, um, whatever amount of time you think you can get away with laying on his back before he moves, Cut that shorter by a couple of seconds and release when he's standing. I would much rather be able to purposely slide off of his back and pet him and love on him and reward him than having to get knocked off of his back because he's moving too fast. And at this point, um, if you say it's not like a real panic-driven thing, it's probably something um, that he's like, well, this works. As soon as I move, she hops off. So what mm -hmm, I want do if, if I feel like the horse has kind of figured me out and he's like oh she's not going to stay on if I start moving away um, then as soon as my feet hit the ground I will go into those hindquarters and yield those hindquarters several times in a row and I'm not going to try to do this in an adversarial like why I ought to you know mean way but I'm going to keep mm -hmm. that horse's feet moving for um several repetitions, and then allow him to stand still. As soon as he comes to a stop, I might kind of halfway lean over him, pet him, love on him, then bring him back to the mounting block and set it up again. So is, cool. is okay. any of that making kind of sense to you, uh, giving you a place to go? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I, up to now I've been a little bit afraid to, uh, like, shut down that forward movement, but. Um, I would kind of let him break into a trot and try to circle him, and it, it wasn't working because I'm, I'm not that good at staying on a big, floaty Arab trot <laughs> bare yeah. laid over the back. So well, and I totally understand Absolutely. not wanting to shut him down for wanting 
to move forward. If they want to wander a little bit at a walk, I actually do allow that to a degree because they get to feel me on their back as they're moving around. And if it gets too scary, the, if you, the way you're leaning over them, it's easy to just hop off. Um, but I wouldn't, if I felt like it was just going to keep building, I'd immediately just hop off, shut them down, set it up again. Um, because obviously, yeah, you know, any horse's trot when you're bareback and leaning halfway over is not going to be very easy to ride. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> what, you can't yeah, see the no, trot from great. your abdomen? So Shame on you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do more planks. I'll try. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but I would say, you know, the, the number one cure I use for things like this is something lateral because pulling on both reins he's you know probably he has been ground driven but they can tend to just if they want to move forward and you pull on both reins and they're a baby they don't quite understand they may just blow through Mm -hmm. it but tipping their nose towards you so whatever side you're on you want to tip that nose towards you get the hindquarters to swing away you're not completely shutting down movement totally um, but you are getting control of the situation and getting them back to you. The other thing why that's really important to me, if, if, if I hop off and you do anything, I'd rather you face me, is, and I've never had this happen climbing on bareback, but just in case that horse decides to kick up or throw in a little buck, um, if their hindquarters are going away from me, I'm not going to be collateral damage. Um, and if you haven't already, I would, uh, I don't know where a good resource would be, but have you ever heard of KB Jeffries and the human curry comb? No, I have not. This sounds fascinating. Oh my gosh. You need to look this up. Um, if, if you don't find anything on Google, there's not like a single book. It's a lot of people use it. I know Pat Pirelli's a big fan. One of my former bosses was the man who taught it to me. It is life-changing. It's like what you're doing, but it's like that on crack. And <laughs> you can okay. get a horse that was previously wild to just mellow out. It's good for any horse, you know, any troubled horse, whether it's had someone on his back or not. Um, it just makes them melt. And it's hard to explain. I don't have enough time to explain the whole thing, but I will for sure be posting some links and some information um, uh, on it, but just remember the term human curry comb. That that like changes human the whole, comb, whole okay. starting game if you've never done it before. All right, it, it, it's a it's like a product or it's a, a it's book. A method you said? By, it's a um, method by. So I'll give you the really yeah? quick method. story. Because okay. it's really the technique, got it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a method by this uh, Australian tra- uh, horse trainer. Now this was a hand-me-down anecdote, so I don't know exactly how factual I have this, but the gist of it is, I think he was a turn-of-the-century trainer uh, in Australia. And uh, before that, I, from what I understand, he was a city guy, and he'd gotten sick, and it was something like cancer or tuberculosis where the, the, what they told him to do, they said, you need to move out to the country, get some air, that's going to do you good. So he moved to a family member's cattle station in Australia. And he would sit on the porch every day and watch the stockmen get their horses out and go out and do the day work. And he noticed they always left this one mare in the corral, and they never took her. And he asked them, he said, "What? why don't you, why don't you take that mare? And they said, uh, um, 
oh, she's wild, she's an outlaw, she's useless, we can't ride her, but, you know, yada, 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 yada. So this guy, from, from what I understand, didn't really have much, if any, horse experience previously. While everyone was gone, he just decided he was going to mess with this mare. And he had a lariat, he had a, a, like a metal hook that he could use to fish the lariat on and off the horse, and he had a metal drum. And he pretty much concocted this method on his own. And when they came back, when the stockman came back for the day, he was riding this mare around bareback and bridleless, and previously unrideable mare. And they're like, you know, how did you do that? And he explained it to them. They didn't believe him because that wasn't really the cowboy way at that time <laughs> to slither mm-hmm. all over a horse bareback. Um, and he showed it to him again and again with other horses. And he, he, uh, um, you know, promoted this method and, uh, pretty much it literally is like the name human curry cum. If by the time you're done with doing this to a horse, your shirt and front side isn't completely dirty and covered in horse hair, you're not doing it right. And something about getting okay. as close as you can to the horse. I don't know what physiological change it puts in the horse. I don't know if it mimics his mother, you know, cleaning him off and taking care of him when he's born. I don't know if he can feel your heartbeat and that gives him comfort. But there's something about getting as close as you can and having just contact all over this horse. Um, It makes profound changes. And so if your horse is a little bit nervous about you getting on um, or, you know, a little bit fidgety, uh, I think doing it in this way can really help to calm the horse down. So I will try to find a suitable link or video um, and post that so that people who are listening and, and you can find out more information about it. Awesome. Thank you. Okay. Mind blown. I'm, uh, I'm intrigued. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. It's one of those. Yeah, for sure. I don't. I don't say magical um, very often, but this is one of those voodoo methods that I've picked up over the years that it's like, I will never not do this. How interesting. Now, we want okay, video cool. of you doing it, Mary. Come on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what was that? Oh, oh you want video oh, of me boy. doing it. Yes, we want video oh, of man. you. Get, get guffers out and, and demo it. Oh, there you go. I, I need to do it with a much smaller horse at this point. I used to be able to do it on any horse with no mounting block. And you can use a mounting block to do it. It's just much easier without. Um Okay, I, I may do it. It's not going to be pretty or flattering to me in any way, but I, I might I might just film that. <laughs> we want to see that. And make sure you, you brand it properly because it will go viral. <laughs> okay. There we go. Well, thanks for calling in, Chantel. I learned a whole bunch and found some really interesting little tips in there that I can use too. So thank you very much for asking that question. And thanks for calling in and being part of the show today. Great. Thank you guys so much. Have, have, f- have fun icing that horse. Yeah, it's going pretty well. So. <laughs> okay, you Bye. guys have a good day. Bye-bye. What? It's it's so fun when we do this show how answering one question that at first you say to yourself, oh, that doesn't apply to me, I don't have that problem. By the time we're done talking about it, you go, oh, I could use that, and I could use that, and I could use that. So it's, it's really this cool. All ties back to what I've been saying in the first place is this is a foundation exercise but it would not hurt any horse to go back and do this. It makes uh, this is one of those things that makes crazy awesome changes in your horse. I don't care again if it's like a 23-year-old steady Eddie, it's a good practice horse to do it with, if nothing else. And it also 
it's it's going to be beneficial to the human too because it will help you advance your balance skills, your body awareness skills, your proprioception skills. It's good for the human too. And it's relatively, I mean, it's actually one of the safest things I do as a horse. You would think climbing on a wild Mustang bareback that's never had a person like, oh, can they buck? The way I do this, I actually rarely, if ever, sit on them with my legs on either side. I've recently started doing that more, but it's taking a lot of risk because if they get scared, then me naturally as as a person will wrap my legs around them and that can cause a That's even worse, yeah. Yeah, if you lay across them, the worst thing I've ever had happen, a colt just lightly kicked up his rump as I was sliding um, all around him and I just kind of flew through the air and landed on my feet with the lead rope still in my hand. That's the worst thing I've ever had happen, knock on wood. Well, there we go. Fascinating stuff. Well, my brain needs a little break. So why don't we take a quick uh, musical break and listen to a little Jared Rogerson. And when we come back, we'll answer some listener questions. This land's made of work is what this ranch is made of. No amount of money can buy. No amount of money can buy. Hurt is what them colts put on me. Curse is my response immediately. And sometimes I don't know why. No amount of money can buy. It's a hard, hard life. But we got what we came for And there is no one reason why No amount of money can buy this dirt Flirt is what she does with me And it works, she's got a good hold on me And no amount of money can buy No amount of money can buy Give them off our backs, I'm sure Cause out here we do it like that There's a feeling that you can't deny It's something no amount of money can buy It's a hard, hard life But we got what we came for And there is no one reason why No amount of money can buy this dirt Where the best roads lead Dirt, it's how I know I'm really free And I wouldn't trade this way of life for anything It's a hard, hard life But we got what we came for And every day is a miracle Like the green, green grass that grows up out of it's a hard, hard life But we got what we came for And there is no one reason why No amount of money can buy There's no amount of money that can buy this dirt 
Well, there you have it. That was Jared Rogerson. You can find his music at jaredrogerson.com on iTunes and probably lots and lots of other players as well. And today's Mary Kitzmiller training episode is brought to you by Horseware. And the flies are already here in the south, and they're going to be moving north fast. Offer your horse the maximum protection with the Rambo Protector. The Rambo Protector is specifically designed to offer superior protection from both flies and sunshine. Too much is a bad thing, you know. Made from unique patented fabric that is super soft and comfortable, the fly sheet provides both UV and max- UV protection and maximum breathability. Shoo, don't want to be overheated. The Rainbow Protector offers maximum coverage with its V-front closure and sure-fit neck design, improved hood shape for greater coverage when grazing, and supersized tail flap, leg arches, belly protection, and three straight surcingles. So it's horse husband approved. The fly sheet also features a tail flap and shine-enhancing polyester shoulder and mane lining, so you don't have that frizzy mane thing going. And it's created an extremely durable fabric because it's a Rambo. So it's still built to protect for many, many seasons to come. You can visit horseware.com for details, and you can find the Rambo Protector at retailers near you. So there. How about that, Mary? Yes, I need to get my flesh sheet out because my horse is allergic to all the things. Guthrie, um, his fur is just fine right now, but if I don't get on top of that, and that sheet works really, really well, um, he will. if I don't put that on him right now, he will look like a burn victim by the end of the year. Yeah, that's um, key, isn't it? You have to kind of put it on before you think you need it. Yes, because, yeah, put it on now. You know, if you're in the north, I don't care if there's snow on the ground, just go ahead and put it on. Because <laughs> once that inflammation cycle starts, that yeah. they release the histamines and then they itch because they, you know, because they are itching and they scratch and they then more flies are drawn to them because they've got open wounds because they're scratching. I've been through all of this. I've done all the fly sprays. I've done all the salves. He's allergic to half of those. Uh, but the fly sheet seems to be, uh, have been the best bet. And, you know, get on it now. Don't wait till you see your first fly. That, yeah, I think I did that with Scooter this year, who has a very mild bug bite allergy compared to poor old Guffers. I started oh, putting God, that please. sheet on as soon as the temperature got up to about 70 degrees. And I, th- I think you're right. I needed to get ahead of it because I was always waiting till it's like, oh, well, the flies aren't really biting yet. Yes, they are. We just don't see them biting. So, yeah, get ahead of it. Yeah, once once it gets into that really bad cycle, then sometimes you have to uh, intervene systemically, and we don't want to be cavalier with things like steroids and all that kind of stuff with our yeah. horses. So avoid that whenever possible. Yeah, yeah. And things that we other things that we want to avoid are problems with our horses. So, what is our first listener question of the day, Mary? Okay, I actually went to the bottom of the list, and I'm going to go with TJ Eggs' question. Um, cash will not go, cash is her horse, cash will not go through some obstacles when I'm in the saddle, but does so happily when we're on the ground. For instance, we walk and trot around the cowboy curtain, jump over, jumps with flowers on both ends, and walk through a path of spinners, but he refuses the pool, sometimes the platform. It would not leg yield up to the side of an obstacle where you had to pick up and put down a plunger. We even worked cows, and he was a total rock star. I can't figure it out. Um, well, this is totally not unusual, and I find some horses really take to certain kinds of obstacles 
and have aversion to others and vice versa. Um, some horses, I have horses that will cross anything, whether it's a you know baby pool full of plastic bottles or tarp or flowers, and they're great with that, but they don't like going through things like the cowboy curtain, which if you guys don't know, it's this big kind of gateway you go through, and there's usually streamers and pool needles hanging down, and it can be quite scary for them. Um, so that's really typical that they'll like some obstacles and won't like others. The thing to me that really stuck out in this question is um, he happily does it when you're on the ground but won't do it when you're on him. Um, so what I would ask if TJ was here is how are you crossing them on the ground? Are you leading the horse across where you're in front of the horse and they're going behind you over the obstacle or are you sending them across? Ding, 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 um, ding, 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 ding. Huge difference. Um, one, if you're going through any kind of potentially scary obstacle, and I'm not saying TJ does this. This is just something that I see, and it's, it's you know, just reminded me of reading this question. But if you're going through any obstacle on the ground, do not get out in front of your horse and let them go behind, especially the scary, crinkly obstacles they have to cross over. Because if they get scared, their first reaction might be to jump, and you might be right in their path of jumping, or they might... Um, you know, it, it's just it's just not a good recipe. Um, so for safety's sake, you don't want to be out in front of that horse when they're crossing something scary. The other thing is there's a very big difference in the horse following you across an obstacle and the horse having to be the first one to cross. Enormous difference. Um, so when that's why oftentimes if I see someone having this problem of, well, he led across it fine, but I got on him to ride across it and he won't. Well, the big difference is he had you going first so he could see it was safe and he could follow you across. And then you switch things up by getting on his back. Now he's got to be essentially the leader and he crosses first. And without that security blanket of having a person there, um, Having his owner there, he might be too afraid to cross. So how I tackle this on the ground is I teach my horse to um, send across. So um, sort of hard to explain um, uh, in this format, but what I essentially do is I will kind of stand at the mouth of that obstacle and I will teach my horse, I'll sort of point in the direction I want them to go, pick up the feel of that halter and lead rope so they know to follow the feel across the obstacle. And I might use something to drive them from behind, whether it's a whip or a flag or the end of my lead rope twirling. And um, it can be more difficult to get them to do it. But once you get them through to where they will send ahead of you and cross through that obstacle, you're going to see their confidence uh build exponentially. So that's how I would tackle obstacles that he doesn't seem to want to do under saddle, but he's okay with it on the ground. That's very uh, the interesting. Other part of this, yeah. yeah. Learn to send your horse. Um, and this is, I use, I, there's, I can't say enough good things about it. I use it to get him on a trailer, to get him to go through gates, to get him to go on obstacles. I typically after they go through the obstacle, they usually are at the end of my lead rope, and I ask them to yield and face me at the end. So, again, there's that hindquarter yield. Um, and if the horse crossed it in a really scary way, all I do is just gently send them back and forth and back and forth and back and forth until they cross it nice and calm. 
let's say I'm trying to send my horse and they absolutely will not do it. If they get to the uh, edge of an obstacle and they balk, one thing I'm going to tell you and I don't want you to do is don't keep tapping and bothering and whacking on your horse if they, if they stall out there because what are they going to learn? Oh, every time I get near this thing, my owner bothers me with the whip and keeps tapping on me incessantly. And I was already nervous, and now I'm nervous and angry, and I hate this obstacle. <laughs> yeah, so, you don't want to create that scenario. Yeah, so if they stop, um, as long as they're facing, you know, facing the obstacle, um, I just let them sit there. Just let them look at it. I won't let them really do too much investigating. I don't want them to chew on the obstacle because that could be a dangerous situation. And then um, once they've sat there for a few minutes, I'll give them a little pet, and then I'll set it up again. I'll um, I'll uh, take them away from the obstacle, and then approach it again and you'd be surprised I've had this happen more times than I can count I just keep working on approach the obstacle nice and straight you don't have to cross I tell my horses if you don't want to you don't have to when I'm teaching them to do obstacles you would think I'll never get my horse to cross an obstacle but it's kind of if you give them that security I am not going to force you to do something you're terrified to do you will see their confidence build and I'll just keep setting up that approach again. And instead of, I'll work on all the things I can control. Maybe I can't make you go on the obstacle, but I can work on our approach. Are you moving straight? Are you moving forward? Are you listening? Is it flowing forward? And get their nose to hit the middle of that obstacle over and over again. And then what almost always happens, in fact, it always happens, is one of those, one of those approaches, I want to kind of release my horse at the mouth of that obstacle and let them know right here, no pressure. It's okay. And when you take that pressure away, I've had just about every horse I've ever worked on this with, they'll just cross on their own, calmly, beautifully, like they've done it a million times. And I can tell you, if I had done that, tried to make them cross any earlier and applied tons of pressure behind him that bothered them, I probably could have gotten gotten them to cross 15 minutes before, but it probably would have been a terrible crossing. They might have leaped in the air or rushed through it, freaked out. And to me, that's not a win. Yeah, I got them where I wanted them to go, but do they seem mentally prepared to do it again? Are they set up for success? No. So just work on your approach over and over and over again. And one of those times, that horse will just feel calm and confident enough to explore it on his own and make that crossing. And that's the best way to do it, in my opinion. So when you teach your horse, because this is some, again, this is a skill that until recently, I never really bothered to teach a horse. You know, you're an event horse. You don't need to learn how to do this. Just get in a horse trailer, right? Um, Teach a horse to walk, I'm going to use my air quotes, through an obstacle. He's going to walk over a tiny little tarp. He's going to walk through a cowboy curtain. He's going to walk on, he's going to walk across a piece of plywood. Teaching your horse to walk with you, but at a distance from you is probably a good skill to start with if he doesn't already do with this. And this is something Nigel struggles with. He grew up to be a racehorse. When you grow up to be a racehorse, you walk right next to the human all the time on a very short lead rope. You never walk six feet away from the human being. He really, really struggles walking with me on a lead rope with no tension on the lead rope more than two feet from me. He wants to get closer because, because that's where he so was supposed to be, right? Security. Yeah, he's so used to having that constant pressure and contact and security. Horses are herd animals. 
uh, on top of what he, how he's been trained in the past. But I found um, that when I tell my horse, you need to go a few feet over there, some of them really freak out. They're like, no, you're my herd. Don't kick me out of the herd. I need to be right next to you. Yes, he he needs to be right next to me. And going through this process where I created a cowboy curtain, I just had a giant clothesline across the aisleway of the barn that I put up real high that I hang the horse laundry on. And I got tired of having to take it down every time I took the horses up and down the barn. So, well, you guys can learn to walk under this. and. That's when I discovered this gap in his training. I didn't even realize it because I couldn't send him through there. He didn't know what send meant. So maybe go go over the very first steps of teaching your horse to walk next to you five feet away. And then maybe how to send them through something really simple like a two cones on the ground that are five feet from you. How's that process start? Okay. Oh, and I want to add something really quick. You were saying, you know, when you first started doing this, you were like, well, I don't need to do that. Well, if if I'm thinking of an eventing horse, half of your guys' job is all obstacles, crazy (laughs) obstacles that they have to fly over with confidence. So that's obstacles. To get them on the trailer to go to the show, that was an obstacle. To get them in the building at the vet, that's an obstacle. I never thought of it as an obstacle, though. He was like, no, it's a jump. That's different. No, it's the same. Those are like (laughs) obstacles on crack. Um, those are like the most extreme obstacles I can imagine. <laughs> there we go. Um, jumping into a water hazard. I mean, that's like number one obstacle. And so even if you don't event, um, uh, op- your horse is, is got obstacles every day in his life, walking through his stall door, getting onto the trailer, getting into the chutes. If you're going to, you know, give him shots or you've got to treat him for colic in and out of buildings. Uh, different surfaces, going from soft dirt to concrete for the first time, uh, riding all, along a road and you have to cross a paint stripping, which we know freaks some horses out. It's obstacles all the time. So throwing a few poo noodles into your life will really help with all the other obstacles your, ha- your horse has to deal with. <laughs> <laughs> so how, if I have a horse that has never been sent in that for resex, let's say, for example, it's an off-the-track thoroughbred, which has no clue what that that skill looks like. And he's a nice, quiet one, so we're not going to deal with the whole freaking out, running away part. This is a nice, quiet, off-the-track thoroughbred. How can I begin to teach him that skill of walking happily and quietly further away from my body so I can eventually send him through a baby-sized obstacle? Okay, so first of all, I'm going to set myself up for success. And I'm not going to try to teach this possibly new maneuver to this horse over a scary obstacle because you're trying to teach your horse something new, plus there's something super scary. Um, So what I usually like to do is use a fence to start. And I won't start three feet from the fence. I'm going to practice sending the horse between me and the fence. I'm going to get mm, 20, 30 feet back or wherever I feel the horse is comfortable. If they're a little spooky on the fence, and TJ, this is a good exercise. You said you had problems getting your horse near an obstacle to pick something up. This is a good way to tackle that on the ground as well. Um, So I'll start 20, 30 feet back. I want to have a good long lead rope, at least 10 feet long, so you give the horse plenty of room to move. You can use the end of your lead rope to guide and direct the horse, um, but it can be easier to have 
um, to have like a carriage type whip or flag or one of those super magical horsemanship sticks that a lot of the gurus pedal. Um, so the first thing that I'm going to do, and I'm going to try to not move my feet. Um, I'm going to try to make it a habit to move my feet as little as possible. In the beginning, I might have to move them quite a lot to help the horse. But I want to, my goal with this exercise is to have my feet completely still, and the horse does all the work. Um, cause he needs to take care of himself at some point. He's not in kindergarten anymore. No. Um, <laughs> so the first thing I'm going to do is I want my horse to travel forward off of a feel. So yes, I might have a whip or something in my other hand to drive the horse forward. But in my mind, I want to get this to where if I didn't bring the whip with me today or I'm on the trail and my horse doesn't want to cross the stream and I think I might want to send them across the stream, but, oh, I didn't bring my horsemanship flag, I want to make sure this will still work for me. So the first cue I use is to teach him to move off of the feel of the halter. And essentially what I do is I pick up slack on my lead rope and I'm going to kind of point where I want the horse to go. And I want to make sure that the lead rope and the halter are kind of putting a little bit of pressure to encourage him to come forward off that field. Those of you guys that have horses that have trouble tying, this is a great way to introduce tying to your horse because most horses that pull back, what are they pulling back against? They're pulling back because they felt pressure behind their ears and that scared them. So they pull back, flip over, break the halter, pandemonium. So I can do this on the ground with a horse like that and tell him, instead of pulling back on that kind of pressure, go forward. So I'll pick up that feel first, put a little pressure on that halter behind his ears. I'll give him a moment or two to respond to it. If he doesn't go forward, I will use whatever tool I have behind the horse's driveline, so behind their hindquarters essentially, and encourage them to go forward between me and that fence. As the horses pat, and they can, I would prefer they do this at a walk. Some horses are a little bit more rambunctious and will do this at the trot. It's okay if they do. As the horse passes, as soon as that horse's tail crosses my belt buckle, so as soon as that horse's hindquarters uh, cross me, cross my body, I'm going to turn in towards his hindquarters. I'm going to take my, if the horse is going to the left, I'm going to take my right foot and kind of take a one step toward his hindquarters, and I can twirl my rope or use the whip or anything to put driving pressure to encourage that horse to send his hindquarters away, and he should end up facing me on the other side. So hopefully that makes sense. Hopefully you're still with me. Again, we now, want a video. Yes, yes. <laughs> you're right. That is very, very hard to explain, isn't it? <laughs> Uh, yes. Uh, so the horse has gone through. He's yielded his hindquarters. He's on the other side. Now, at this point, the horse's nose is probably in line with your shoulder. So if he were to go forward at that point, he would run into your space. So as you're asking your horse to send the other way, so you're going to switch your hands on the lead rope. So I sent the horse to the left. Now I'm going to send him to the right. I'm going to put my right hand on the lead rope. I'm going to put the whip in my left hand. And I'm going to kind of point towards the fence. And before I send the horse forward, I might take that um, lead rope or the whip or the flag and ask him to step their shoulder away from me and toward the fence. 
So if they keep their shoulder away, they're going to follow that line and cross between me and the obstacle without running me over. This is very important when you start getting your horse to send between something scary and you because they'd rather run on top of you than go to the scary thing. That's why I say start from a far distance back so this isn't completely bonkers out of control. So I ask them to step their shoulder toward the fence once I get that set up. I'm going to then ask them to go forward. And again, I'm gonna, the horse will pass going to the right between me and the fence. As soon as their tail crosses my belt buckle, I'm gonna turn and step toward their hindquarters with my left foot, get the hindquarters to swing all the way away from me until they're facing me. And I'm gonna get those mechanics working really good. Once they work pretty good, I'm gonna take a step closer to the fence and do it again, send them back and forth, back and forth. They get that pretty good. I'm going to take a step closer and so on and so forth until I can have a pretty narrow squeeze area for my horse to go between me and the fence. Now, the fence is a pretty non-threatening thing, but you'll find as you close the gap between you and the obstacle of the fence, some horses can get really nervous because they're naturally claustrophobic. They don't want to get trapped, and they might start darting through or refusing to go through just stay with them be patient if they back up just gently go back with them keep applying pressure you don't want to increase pressure you just want to apply pressure saying you know that's not the right answer yet that's not the right answer yet that's not the right answer yet as the horse is going through here's another important tip once the horse has decided to go between you and the fence stop applying pressure behind them. You want to release them into that maneuver. So as long as they're moving forward, release. Don't do anything. Don't keep tapping on them. I don't want to, you know, bother them through the whole thing. Otherwise, there's no incentive for them to do it. So, and for, because timing is key here. So when you ask the horse to move past, so he ends up going past that belt buckle area, as soon as he takes those first two steps, generally speaking, once they get, he do it, he does it once, his mental momentum keeps him going. So I might apply a small amount of pressure to start his feet moving, but as he starts to move and makes progress, I'm going to take the pressure off before his butt actually gets past my belt buckle. Yes. Okay. Yes. So once he started moving forward, I'm going to stop applying pressure and let him continue to move forward, and he'll find that release. Oh, once I go forward, she stops bothering me for a second. So this is the right answer. And then the so next we're, if we're going to use another pressure, automobile reference, he, you're going to let him coast once you touch the gas pedal. Exactly. Once exactly, yeah, that's a great analogy. Okay. Exactly. Um, and I do this over obstacles. Do not continuously tap or whip your horse over an obstacle because they just made this huge commitment to cross over something scary that everything in their bones is telling them not to do. They took that step of bravery. And if you keep spurring them or whipping them, you know, bad person, don't do that to your horse. Let them feel good for being across that obstacle. Release the pressure and just coast them on over. I'd rather release my horse over an obstacle than continue to bother them as they're crossing. Ooh, ding, 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 ding. Another good one. Exactly. Great. Wow, that was a lot. So we really drilled down on that one. So because I wanted folks to understand the picture of the beginnings of that skill set, because especially in the English world, that is not a common skill set. You don't see lots of it. And like you said, everything in life is some type of an obstacle. So if you have a horse that has already learned in his life to refuse something while you're on his back. For example, 
he's a stopper over a fence. Having this skill set on the ground is a handy way to work towards giving the horse the confidence he needs to not be a stopper while you're on his back over a fence. This is a good kindergarten. Let's let's go all the way back to the foundation where the hole started. The foundation, the hole was a teeny tiny little pinprick. But by the time you get to jumping a course of eight fences in an arena, that thing is, that hole is the size of the universe. So go all going all the way back yes. can really help that. Cool. We have time for one more question because I really stretched that okay. one out. Okay. Let, <laughs> let me see if I can pick. So great question, TJ. Uh, did it burn sour horse? Ground tie? Timid nervous? Let's see here. Uh, let's go with the first question. Oh, no, this wasn't the first question, but that's okay. Let's go with Jennifer M. Spencer's question. I'm moving uh, my 13-year-old mare to a new boarding facility soon. She's been housed in a 12 by 24 uh, pen for the last two years. I take her out daily for exercise. There's other horses on the property, but she's not able to have any contact. Um, so at this new place, the plan is to introduce her to a bigger area, a living area, about a fourth of an acre, where she has room to roam. And she would be housed with a yearling mare and eventually a goat. Oh, that'll be fun. I've had her two years and have no idea how she'll react to new friends. She tends to get anxious in her current pen. She paces and paws the ground. Any tips on trying to make the integration as smooth as possible? Thank you. Um, so uh, this is a really good question. Uh, so a horse that's never been turned out on any kind of space, has never been with other horses, um, is is going to have a big change in her life. Um, so first, if at all possible, I like to set it up to where um, my horse will be touching noses with their new pasture mates. So I just so happen to have a, um, a catch pin that's like a, I don't know, 30 by 30 catch pin right on the other side of my small pasture. So they get to see the other horses and perhaps mingle and, you know, have kind of a low stress interaction before I actually turn them out. If you can set that up, great. Um, the other thing I would recommend, if your horse has not had any kind of um, large turnout, they've never been turned out or they haven't been turned out, let's say you kept them in the barn all winter, um, one of the things I would do before you turn her out is work her and let her get tired. Um, because I've heard a number of stories, um, uh, my boss, old boss, used to work at a halter, show, a showing halter facility, and those horses are kept, um, kept in the barns, like, almost all their show career. They, they don't like them to move, they want them to get nice and fat, uh, <laughs> and so, you know, they're kept in a barn situation where their exercise is training, um, and they had this gorgeous little filly, who she had just finished the show season and, and they thought, the barn managers thought, I'm going to turn her out and let her have a break. Well, the silly hadn't been turned out or hadn't been turned out in many months and she just let her loose. And not too long later, she brought the filly back in with an open, gaping chest wound because the filly had run straight into a fence. So, um, you know, don't take your horse fresh out of the stall after eating, you know, eating his breakfast on a cold, blustery day and just turn him loose. Uh, a little trigger stacking going the, on there. <laughs> yes, yes. Work on the horse. 
so, you know, do your daily ride or do some groundwork, but let, you know, allow the horse to be uh, a little bit tired before you turn them out. And a quarter of an acre is not terribly huge, so that's good. Um, but that way you're, con- you're hopefully going to curb any desire she might have to run around all bonkers or, uh, or store trouble with the younger horse. Um, so I would say that's probably my biggest tip on that one is anytime if you turning your horse out to a new pasture, they haven't been turned out for a while or they've never been turned out, work them first, get yeah, them tired. Idea. In, the, um, in the middle of the day get, when it's about as warm as it's going to get nap time yes. normally. Yeah. Let her, let her get to know her next door neighbor before they're turned out together. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good. Yeah. One. one of the things that we used to do, providing your horses are not food aggressive if it's there, if there's no grazing there, um, make or even if there is, make sure there's some super yummy hay in a number of different small piles around your turnout area because it's amazing how distracting half a dozen tiny piles of alfalfa can be. Yes, that's a great, great addition to that um, because. You know, uh, I know I have some playful, goofy geldings that like to gang up on whatever new horse I introduce, but if they had a bunch of food out there, they might be less tempted to run around the new guy and more tempted to to go and, you know, eat their hay. And then by the time everyone's had their dinner, the new guy's been in there a little bit. Maybe they don't feel like running him around so much. Yeah, you're right. The way to a man's heart is through his stomach, and geldings are frequently that way, and not grain, because that, you know, most horses are food aggressive about grain, but alfalfa or just yummy hay, whatever hay they you have in your area that the horses find extra super appealing is distracting more than, oh, I need to protect this. If you put six little tubs with grain in it out there, you'll have a very different reaction versus six little piles of yummy hay. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good ideas. I like those. Yeah. Yeah. So We've we've used up all of our time as usual. So if folks want to appropriately stalk you online, Mary, or they want to call you up and go, hey, can you come to our part of the world and do a clinic? How would they find you? Um, so I have a website, marykitsmiller.com. But probably the best place to get a hold of me is on my Facebook page, Mary Kitzmiller Horsemanship. And, uh, uh, yep, you can message me, and, and um, I'm happy to help in any way. And you can find out the latest on what I'm doing. There we go. She's a busy gal, so drop by the Facebook page, say the like button. So, folks, if you listen to this podcast on your electronic device of some sort, you're an iPhone listener, you're an Android listener. You've downloaded the I've, the Horse Radio Network app. You have less tech-savvy people in your life. Help them out. They're going to enjoy the show as well. So take their phone from their little hand and download the app for them. It's available in the App Store, and it's free. And show them how to use it so they can enjoy the Horses in the Morning show as well as all of the other Horse Radio Network shows. Or if you're an app person, go to your favorite podcatcher or go to iTunes. You can subscribe that way. And we will be back again tomorrow. Tomorrow is Friday. Therefore, it's a really bad ads day. If you haven't sent in your ads yet, you need to do that. Go online, find stupid, silly, poorly written horses for sale ads, and then send them to to Jennifer at HorseRadioNetwork.com. And last but certainly not least, we would love to thank our title sponsor today, Horseware. For all of your fly sheet needs, go to Horseware.com. Check out the wide variety of well-made fly sheets there. 
And uh, we'll see you again in another month, Mary. All right. See you next month.